This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 18. We're recording on Thursday, September 5th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, and I'm here with Jeff O'Neill. We are the editors of bookriot.com. Jeff, how are you? Welcome back to school, kids. It's the first week of school for most of uh, America, and I know uh, I am back in the classroom with a bunch of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed freshmen, and uh, it feels like fall here. Is it it feeling like fall down there yet? No, it was 90 here yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting those like little teasy breezes of fall weather in the evenings where you sort of just feel like that little bit of coolness on the back of your neck just long enough to think, oh, it's coming. And then no. Yeah, we had a break in the humidity last week and it got down to like 65 overnight. (sighs) It's like New York in the falls. Like I needed to watch a Nora Ephron movie all of a sudden. I was kind of all those things happening. I was thinking last week, Jeff, that I didn't ask you if you did your ceremonial rewatching of Dead Poets Society. I I watched it. I didn't uh, I didn't blog it as I have the last couple of years, but I did a, a late night watching of Dead Poets Society just to remember, because if you're a good enough teacher, your students will commit suicide. That is the moral of the story to take away from Dead Poet Society. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of mixed messages, I'd say, about the value of education. It you know, does. Surviving. But, man, it's it's just a good one. Yeah. And, and to ring in the new year, we've got a new sponsor to start the show. We I'm do. excited about. Yeah, this is a cool one. Squarespace. Uh, it's an all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. It's basically if you if you need a website and you don't want to code it and you don't know much about how to do one, Squarespace is a site you can use to make an awesome looking modern uh, blog, website, portfolio, gallery, anything you really want to use um, a website for. And I've used this. this. I was so excited that they came on as a sponsor because I use it for my personal blog, which is a little bit moldering because I'm, I'm busy and, and neglectful. Um, but it's it was super easy to do. I wanted something very minimal, which mm-hmm. is actually harder than you would think to do with most blogging platforms. Um, you can adjust all the colors and the spacing, drag and drop interface um, to, to make it look really great. So they're always improving the platform. New stuff is coming out all the time. Um, really nice templates to start with. So you don't start with just sort of, a, you know, like the terror of a blank Microsoft Word document. Here you have a template you can sort of customize to make it look how you want to. They've got o- over 20 templates that are really easy to customize with a lot of choices. Um, let's see what else do they do that's great. If you if you want to sell something, they have a built-in commerce platform that's included in the low, low monthly price of Squarespace, which is just $8 a month. So it's not free, but you get about more you get about a billion times more than you get from a free, a free um blogging or website platform. It's really great. I highly recommend it. I've recommended it personally to other people who want to use um uh to have a website of their own. Um so I, I think it's really great. So that's squarespace.com. And they have they've got a special offer for this month. And if you go to September and you go to squarespace.com slash riot nine, that's us. That's we're, we're the riot part. Mm-hmm. And the nine part is for September, I guess. I'm just assuming. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And you can get 20% off. And normally you, you, their discount code through, through sponsorships is 10%. They're giving us, tw- we're giving us 20% 
to give to you. Mm -hmm. And there's no credit card required to start your trial, get building your website, see how it works. Your 14-day free trial, so you got two weeks to play around with it um, and see if it's for you, and I think it will be. I I was just talking, we had some friends in town, um, and I I don't know if you know this trend, but there's a trend uh, among those of us who have um, progeny, offspring, (laughs) that we like to share pictures with our friends and family, but we're a little creeped out about putting all of our pictures of our kids and friends and families on, say, you know, this big um, social networking site that's blue. Um, and it begins with an <laughs> What are F. you talking about, It begins Jeff? with an F and it ends with a book. Um, <laughs> and so one thing that a lot of people I know are doing are creating their own private um, blogs or galleries just for pictures of their kids um, that their friends and family can subscribe to or just look at rather than sort of doing emails or something all the time like that. And Squarespace, they have a lot of portfolio templates that would be awesome for that. So that's kind of a a sponsorship and a recommendation all rolled into one. So thanks so much to Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com slash riot9. Check out the deal and make yourself a website. Yeah, and if you make a, a website shot. doing this, let us know. We'll take a look at it. We, we like to see if you're doing something. Oh, yeah. We love, you know, people coming to the internet. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> one of us. Welcome to our treehouse. Um <laughs> Well, we have big news again. Man, big news. You definitely don't get to do your thing about how you keep thinking we're going to have a week without book news. You know, it's my, just uh, not going to happen. My, my better half who, who listens to the show and gives us great notes, and by us, I mean me, um, <laughs> said, you got to stop doing that because you look like an idiot every time you say <laughs> it. there's always There's news. always big news. Just accept there's, there's always news and that you know nothing. I think those are her exact words. So, and she's right. She's a smart lady. She often is. And... Big news of big news. I, I think this is huge news. This is so big. It's it, okay. I think it has potential to okay, be. Okay, yeah, really, fair enough. Well, let's, really, let's, tell let's the people what there. the potentially big news is. So, Amazon announced this week a new program called Kindle Matchbook. Uh, so, they're sticking with that Kindle burn thing. Uh, yeah, because sort of that's, that's their, the uh, their image titles. you always want with They're going with it. Yeah, okay. Uh, Guy Montag just, would just be so it. proud. Just own it. Uh, so, Kindle Matchbook will launch in October and. Um, with participating publishers, it will allow you to get a free or discounted ebook version of any print book that you've purchased from Amazon since Amazon has been a bookseller, which is since 1995. Uh, so you will be able to go back through every print book that you've purchased from them. And if the publisher of that book uh, is participating in the Matchbook program, so far only HarperCollins has signed on. But of I'm the sure- big six, right? Yeah, of the big six. Uh, But I'm sure they're anticipating having more uh, by the launch in October. Uh, As long as the publisher of your print book is participating, you'll be able to get an ebook for $2.99, $1.99, or for free. Uh, So this, I mean, this looks to me like someone has nailed an elegant solution to the bundling problem if the publishers get on board with it. It's the beautiful dream. It is the beautiful dream. The beautiful dream dream that those of us who um, are doing some or a lot of ebooks and still have a romantic attachment or just, you know, like print in some situations, this is what we've wanted. This is what we've been waiting for. Um, And, you know, whatever you think about Amazon, it's not surprising they're the ones that are are uh, forging the beachhead on this particular deal. So I didn't know you could do this, and I was just going to play around um, in anticipation of talking about on the show mm-hmm. today. I went back and I downloaded a spreadsheet from Amazon of my purchases from the beginning of my current Amazon account, which goes oh. back to 2003. Oh, boy. So, and in theory, you could go and get ebook versions of all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and here's one I didn't think about. I give a lot of um, books as gifts, as yeah. I'm sure most of you who are listening to the show do. In theory, if the publisher of one of those books I gave as a gift participated, I could go uh, give myself a little uh, kickback, right? 
mm-hmm. two bucks, and I could get the ebook of a series I brought for my brother a long time ago, or something that um, we gave away, or have lost, or someone borrowed and, and never gave back for for a nominal price. So I, I've got several questions for you. I need your opinion on on this thing. So you think do you think people are going to opt in? I think readers want this. I don't think oh, that's yeah. not a question. I don't. I think that's off the board for us. I, do you yeah. think? I think readers want this. A big one of the other big six, or a couple of the other ones, going to are they going to buy in, or what's their? Are they still worried, or what do you think is? I mean, I think they'll be they'll probably be slow to do it because their publishers are just slow Slow to to do do stuff. Um, That Harper Collins has already signed on as a you know that's a great sign. They have Neil Gaiman, so if you have you know piles of Neil Gaiman backlist, then you've got um, cheap access to a bunch of Neil Gaiman eBooks. Now they have a bunch of other big writers. Um, I I think that publishers will give this a shot. Also, sort of historically, and maybe not in Amazon's favor, Amazon has been a little bit ruthless about their what they will do to get publishers to comply with them you know like magically disappearing buy buttons Mm -hmm. on publishers (laughs) books when publishers uh, don't do something that amazon wants them to do so i I wouldn't be surprised to see amazon start to maybe pull some shady behavior uh to get compliance for this i hope that i hope it doesn't Hmm, come to that you know like schuster your results aren't showing up in search that's weird i don't know have you heard about matchbook Mm -hmm. have you heard about this other thing we're Uh, doing I saw an, a literary agent speculating on Twitter yesterday that um, that she suspected that going forward now for all new book listings on Amazon, Amazon could make uh, matchbook participation compulsory or required uh, for everything going forward. That's interesting. Uh, which would be a, w- would be one way to do it. If you want Amazon to sell your book, you've got to agree to the matchbook deal. Um, mm. I, I think that's interesting. I'll be really interested to see if going in this direction of buying a print book and getting a free ebook is the thing that readers really want. Um, a lot of the readers that are in, at least in my circle, talk about um, buying an ebook and then when they read the ebook and really love the book, then they want to go back and buy the print edition. So that was be, my second question for you. Yeah, it'll like be interesting. Reverse bundling. <laughs> yeah, I hope that they I hope that they will offer rever- reverse bundling for sure, um, especially like a new author. Um, the, well, the way that I've been doing it, at least, is if I'm going to buy a book by a new author or something that I'm not totally certain that I'm going to be into, I'll, I'll usually buy the ebook because it's less expensive. That's less of a risk um, on my part. And if I don't love the book, then I'm not going to want to have the print copy lying around. I'm either right. going to I'm going to give it away. I'm not going to put it on my shelves of keepers. Um, so it would be nice, I think, to offer some sort of reverse to of a of a discounted access, maybe what twenty percent off a print edition if you yeah, bought. I don't know. I mean, the ebook um, or so, coming to some sort of like a total cost thing. Like I was thinking of uh, Lexicon by Max Berry, which I loved, but I hadn't read any of his books before. So I bought the ebook. Was like it was like a thirteen ninety nine ebook. Oh, you read the you read the ebook of Lexicon. I did, yeah. and it was it had just come out in hardcover. I think twelve ninety nine is pretty high um, mm-hmm. for an ebook price. But if I could also get buy the hardcover at a discount right. and get the two of them total of a brand like a hardcover and an ebook of a brand new fiction right. title for like. 20 or 25 bucks yeah, total. Yeah, pay full freight of the hardcover price. Yeah, right? Something, right. something along that line. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Second, okay, so I got those are my, my third question is Amazon is really the only person that can do this, right? I mean, I guess the, the only other person that sells enough print and ebooks combined that a bundling on this scale would work. And 
I'm thinking of our good friend, uh, capital B, ampersand, mm-hmm. capital N. Mm-hmm. But Barnes & Noble, they just don't seem like they can do stuff like this. Well, except Barnes & Noble has those brick-and-mortar stores. So if they... I think that Barnes & Noble could pull it off if they found a good way to hook it into their stores. Like, if everybody who was walking into Barnes & Noble was told at checkout, you know, you're buying... Yeah. You're buying a print book standing here in Barnes & Noble. Um, you can download the ebook to read on your Nook or right. on the Nook app on any of your devices because everybody has... And here, take this little card with the code on it or whatever. Right. Um, for or, three bucks, we'll mm-hmm. throw that in. That's not, Yeah, that's, I hadn't thought about right. that. You like, can do that's, it that way. It's not as frictionless yeah. as, this, uh, as the Amazon thing is. But Barnes & Noble, if they got on it, I think that they could make it work. Um, because, I mean... Amazon's going to have the technology to, they see everything you've bought. I mean, that's, that's the real sort of mm-hmm. the golden ticket here is everything you've bought from Amazon that's going to be available for this is avail- will be available for you to do matchbook. So like every HarperCollins book I've ever bought through Amazon, in theory, I could go uh-huh. and for, you know, 50 bucks, you know, backfill my e- e-collection. Um, I, you know, I have two, I have one fear and one hope about this. My fear is that it's awesome and Amazon's the only one that does it, and that's just another huge cannon in Amazon's um, arsenal. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not as big of an Amazon skeptic as a lot of people, but I like competition. I don't want Amazon the only one that can do stuff like this. Right. Because they might do something to make this Kindle only, or they might get rid of my iPad app for Kindle. You can't do it like that, like that mm-hmm. and I have to own a, you know, an, e- an, actual, a, an device. actual Kindle, which is not what I want to do, frankly. Yeah. Um, so that's my fear. My hope is maybe Amazon has, um, has uh, breached the dam about this kind of bundling. And once Amazon does it, Barnes & Noble is going to clamor for it. Um, and they say to HarperCollins, well, you have to let us do this too or else we're going to pull all your books off the shelves um, or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. nasty, strong-arming business I don't care about as long as it's good for me. And then maybe that will even trickle down to, say, independent booksellers. Yeah, I would love to see this be the first step um, and then to have us move to a place where bundling is not – vendor specific. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, right now, if you want to take part in this cool deal, you've got to have purchased print books from Amazon and then Mm -hmm. have an Amazon app or a Kindle that you're reading on. Um, You've got to be in that Amazon ecosystem. Right. Or you have to be willing to convert into it. Um, Print books that you've bought previously. Like we talked about another startup called BitLit several episodes ago that is attempting to provide this sort of bundling, like back end bundling service for readers with any book. Um, They're launching in the US in October, I think with an Android app. Um, But theirs is sort of the hack around it. You take a photo of your signature written on the title page of a print book, you send it to them, and then if they. Yeah, yeah, that's not as elegant. Um, But but publishers, if publishers can take a cue from how this works with Amazon, if it works uh, with the matchbook and then start their own programs so that no matter where you buy the print book or what version of the ebook you want to read, what device or what app you want to read in, you get access to a bundle. Right. Um, that would, I think, I mean, that's the ideal. That's where I want to see this go is, so you buy your print copy of the new Murakami in an independent bookstore that's throwing a party for it. Mm-hmm. And then you can go home and, you know, you, so you prefer iBooks, you can get yeah. a bundle, like get the bundled discounted ebook um, on your iPad or yeah, because yeah, that was my, um, I forgot what number of questions I'm on. So let's, th- my 13th question. We were talking about your hopes and my, fears. My 13th Jeff. question Tell for me. you about this is let's take all the publishers and Amazon and whatever out of it for a second. And let's say you, um, Rebecca Shinsky, 
just brought home the new Murakami that's coming out in 2014, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the print book in your hand and you say, boy, I now want this as an ebook. Um, and I want to get, you know, a dis- I want to get the discounted ebook that's available mm-hmm. since I got my print copy. What's the, what do you think would be the best way to do that? You've got the print book right there in your hand. Like, because everything is kind of a hack, right? Right. I mean, taking a picture of the copyright page with your signature, I mean, it's a little bit carrier pigeon to me, uh, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess if you, I guess if you had on your Kindle app or your Kindle, it had your print book purchases kind of sitting there in a folder or a list. Yeah. And you could press a button that says, match this book. Mm-hmm. exclamation point for two ninety nine, <laughs> And you press that button. So you have to get into your e-reader. I guess I'm just not sure. Like, cause you want plat, you want it to be platform agnostic is what I'm hearing. Right. And I, I would yeah. prefer that too. So in that case, the book itself would have to be sort of the carrier of the information right. and, of giving the ebook to me. And that has been, uh, to my understanding, that's been the big barrier right. to getting bundling done already. Like comics have figured this out. You right. put, you wrap a comic book in plastic, you put the download code inside the comic book that's in the plastic writing so that presumably the only person who's getting that free download code is the person who has bought the comic book and then taken the plastic wrapper yeah. off. Um, it's, well, what about this? Let me throw this one. That, that makes a good, good point because I was thinking what if there was something printed in the book, but then, you know, our show rumors you know, our hated show rumors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say that ironically. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's been the concern as well. Then anybody could walk into any bookstore and, and just find the download the code. code on lexicon and just, right. Sort of and just for, go get the free or the discounted. Well, what if it was on your e-book? receipt? What if it was right, on your I, receipt? I was thinking about that. You know, most receipts have, um, like if you go into Barnes and Noble, your receipt has a barcode on it yeah. that's attached to your purchase. And if you go in to like make the return with your receipt, they just scan yeah. the barcode on your receipt to activate the record of that purchase. So what and if so, my uh, Barnes & Noble app um, hooked in with the camera on my iPad mm-hmm, right. and I took a picture of the receipt and it was like, mm-hmm. hey, and it sent me an email or something, you know, yeah. th- something like that. I mean, seriously, I go into CVS and I, and I buy some shampoo that lasts me six years because I don't have any hair. And I get a receipt that I could throw a ticker tape parade with this thing if I cut it up. Right. It's like six and a half feet long. Right. And it's giving me like, you know, Doritos deals. Like they can't use some of that real estate at Barnes and Noble or something or the independent mm-hmm. bookstore. I, I don't know. I maybe there's a maybe there's a room for a little startup to do that. You know, maybe mm-hmm. the bitlet guys or someone like that should be instead of having a secondary working around um, point of sale places for physical books, they should work with um, cuz that would be a nice solution. That would be a really nice mm-hmm. solution. And you could choose what plat, what uh E-reader. You want to use it on iBooks, you want to use it on OverDrive, um, Blue Fire, or Kindle app or whatever. Um, that would be great. We're getting there. I guess that's what we were excited about when you yeah. we were first talking about this when we heard this this week. We're like, yes, movement. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> movement towards – But I mean bundling is just – like I feel like it's a thing that – we've been talking about wanting for so long. And, and the thing, my hope here is that first that this will work um, because something has to work at some point for bundling. So I hope that this will work and that it will spur movement from publishers. Um, But also that, that when it works, publishers will look at the fact that it works and recognize that this is, like the reader problem that they should be solving. You know, yeah. there's so much obsessing from publishers about um, discoverability and 
And what we at Book Riot have come to think of is the, the fact that readers don't really have trouble finding books, but publishers use discoverability as shorthand for why can't we get people to read the books that we want <laughs> right, them to exactly. buy? Right. Um, but that, so it's not a reader problem. Discoverability and finding something to read is not a problem that people who want books to read have. Right. Um, but getting access to a, a cool bundle, um, being able to read both in print and digitally and to, to go back and forth, maybe you want the hardcover at home, uh, but you're going to take the uh, ebook with you when you leave the house, whatever the use is, like this is a thing that is part of readers' lives. Um, it's a clunky piece of it. Going back and forth isn't easy. You have yeah. to pay um, for two full book purchases when that happens. And I would just really love it if this was the thing that kicked publishers out of the obsessing about discoverability and like, please obsess about something that's actually a problem and start well, solving it. Well, take more of my money, right? I mean, right. you bought Lexicon, you're looking to sp- throw another 10 bucks or 15 bucks right. at it. Uh, do it that way. Um, mm-hmm. All right. It, and this isn't on our list, but there, it was, there's another bit of Amazon news for, and I think a lot of readers this is going to be interesting for, is that Goodreads is coming to Kindle. Yes. Um, I'm not sure when this is coming. I think in October, um, there's a new Kindle Paperwhite and a new e-ink reader is about as exciting as like a new razor yeah, with an extra uh, blade on it. Yeah, but, they ship on September 30th. Yeah. Um, but the new feature, one new feature of the new Kindles, and I don't know if it's going to be a software update or only on new hardware, hardware, we'll have to find that out, but Goodreads is coming to Kindle. And so from your Kindle, and I don't know if it's going to be a Kindle app at any rate, (laughs) there's a lot of open questions here, but this is something we long anticipated ever since we saw Goodreads, um, get snapped up, um, by Amazon. And so you'll be able to see what your Goodreads friends are reading, um, you can share highlights to Goodreads from the book. So one thing that's awesome about Goodreads is they have awesome quotation mm-hmm. pages. So you can pop something there. You can rate books from your Kindle. You'll be able to see your want to read and currently reading and, and uh, already read shelves right from your Kindle. Um, and you can do the reverse. You can am- add your Amazon books and your Kindle books to your Goodreads shelves for there. So, you know, this this kind of interoperability is I mean, I don't know how they figured out the valuation of $150 million for Goodreads, but if it gets people to buy more Kindle stuff um, from Goodreads and making it easier, you know, I don't think it would take too long for Amazon to recoup um, the purchase price of Goodreads of just this kind of thing alone. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think yeah, about that? Anything interesting there for you? You know, I think it's interesting. And when, when Amazon bought Goodreads, there was a lot of speculation slash fear about what Amazon would do to Goodreads. And Amazon said, you know, basically, we want to keep the service what it is, because the very active users love it the way it is, and we don't want to screw it up. Um, And it, it seems like so far, they're sticking to that this as a first step towards integrating them seems to me to, it's not very invasive. Yeah. I'm sure that you'll be able to opt out of it the way that you can opt out of exactly. basically any other kind of social sharing. If you don't want to share your highlights to your Goodreads people, if you would prefer to keep the stuff that you're marking private, mm-hmm. um, I, I would I would be pretty confident in guessing that you'll be able to do that. Right. But if we were in charge of this integration, this is what we would do, I think. I mean, yeah, looking I at think, it, it's like this, yeah, this is I think so. Cool, you know, right? there's interesting opportunity here. Am, uh, Goodreads has a lot of book group um, yeah. sort of message oh, board situations. So yeah. if you're if you're in a oh, – and, and we know a woman, Lori, who runs um, a, the largest Goodreads 
group called the Next Best Book Club. Um, And so if they're all reading the same book and you want to be able to make your book club, you know, it's already a virtual book club because it meets on Goodreads. But if you want to be able to sort of add to your discussion in multiple dimensions and share highlighting between, you know, oh, I really liked this passage. What do you think this quote means? It seems like there's a lot of stuff that you could play with here. Yeah. Um, Interesting to see if it's like a like a separate app with it on the Kindle or how exactly like the interface will be um, or if like there'll be a little Goodreads button yeah. whenever you're reading something that sort of an action button that if you hit the you know the, yeah, the I would, GR icon there's an action menu yeah, that pops up. Or that's what like I would that. do is yeah. like if you highlighted a passage on your Kindle. Some sort of contextual menu. Have it right have it it would it all it already offers you like tweet this quote mm-hmm. um put this in facebook um my nook does that too if right. you highlight something um but i would guess maybe now the goodreads icon pops up also you you're so you're deciding do i tweet this quote do i put it on my goodreads account um you know i wonder if they'll go one step farther into integrating and do something like if a if a book title is mentioned inside another book can you tap on that and add it to your Mm. Goodreads to read list. Like I first read A Sport and a Pastime by James Salter because it was mentioned in some John Irving book. I I can't remember. Mm, That's interesting. Which one, but... um, Or if you get to the end of a book, like the Goodreads recommendations, which are better than Amazon's recommendations, pop up at the end. It's like Goodreads Mm -hmm. readers who love this book also love these books. Uh, Right, because now like, like I'm on this adventure in romance novels and usually at the end of the romance book you get uh, coming soon from this author or read like here are the other titles by this author. But it would be kind of cool to have a Goodreads recommendation function, which you're right, is so much better than Amazon's going, okay, so you read this Sarah McLean romance novel. Here is another book by a different author that you should try. Yeah, so um, as as the details about that emerge... um, we're, we're, we're going to keep up with both of those Amazon stories, mm-hmm. Matchbook and, uh, and Kindle and Goodreads. You know, I, apparently we can't ignore Amazon. We cannot. It, it seems like they're doing stuff in this publishing thing uh, a little bit. All right, let's go, let's go meta. <laughs> so this was My from favorite. a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Guardian, a piece in The Guardian, a columnist asking, you know, sort of men- mentioning some titles. And The Luminaries um, by Eleanor Catton and The Kills – by Richard House is a thousand pages. The Luminaries is eight hundred thirty-two. David Peters' mm. new book out seven hundred twenty pages. Then sort of um, dovetailing onto uh, the George R. R. Martin books and the Harry Potter. Like our big books back is basically the question, right? Mm-hmm. And we both saw this and we're like, wait, it did it? Did <laughs> wait, it, where did they go? It's like, where did sexy go, JT? Because it's back, like. So I guess I was going to ask you, do you have a sense that there is a a cresting of big books or is this just sort of selection bias on this guy's part? That's like, hey, here are four long books. Let's write an opinion piece. I think it's totally selection bias in the same way that like every year or two, there's a big piece about how this is the year of the short story. And I'm like, every year is the year of the short story. Like for as long as I've been a reader, there have been great collections of short stories that have come out um, that have gotten noticed from, you know, by critical publications and by readers alike. And the same goes for big books. You know, a couple of years ago, it was the um, first volume of the Mark Twain autobiography. And just the first volume is like 1400 mm-hmm. pages. But yeah, yeah, I think. And what is the um, 
Man, it was a bright, hot pink cover. Adam Levin. Oh, the instructions. Yeah, that that sucker's like a thousand well, pages and long. And both of the Hillary Mantel Mantel books, right? Mantel, yeah, I think. Mantel. Those yeah. are those uh, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies were were giant books. Those um, are I I do not think big the books goldfish, have gone The Goldfinch, which is coming out soon, mm-hmm. is a, is a eight hundred pager. Yeah, seven hundred forty. Yeah, 600? Night Film, which just came out, is I think six hundred and. 20-some-odd mm-hmm. pages. I, so there's definitely big be, books out there. Sure. I, what was the um, the Art of Fielding? That was a big... Yeah. Was that big, two or three years ago? Yeah, a couple of years ago. That was big in the popular sense and big in the page count sense. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Franzen, Freedom, those are big, long the, books. The Corrections is a, is a big book. So yeah. I don't know. I And, you know, again, like... The, the I've seen this article like I guess every six months or so. Mm-hmm. There's a big book back thing, and there was one around Mantel, Mantel and George R. R. Martin when the, um, the last uh, Martin book came out. Was that Dance with Dragons? I, I don't, know don't even books. know. It seems to me that especially if you're talking about like epic sci-fi and fantasy yeah. stories, big books have definitely never right. gone. And the Wheel of Time. Those things are enormous. <laughs> yeah, enormous. like they've been. And there's and, a billion of them too. Right, there's and, literally a billion Wheel of Time. All books. of their literary predecessors were big long books. Yeah. Too. It's um, like guess, why is this? I so, just, I, so I guess maybe the more story? interesting question is why are why do we have this sort of fascination with wondering if big books are back? Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. why is this like a thing? Like, why do we been, even have to have, this, we have this conversation? Does that make sense? I don't really know. I, often in these kinds of opinion pieces, the, the 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 argument goes something like, "Well, in our age of distraction, maybe we're looking for refuge." Mm-hmm. In, in a big book. And I'm like, well, okay, no evidence or analysis or data, but uh, I guess maybe well, and, that makes and it, sense. And sort of the other version of that story that I've seen is in our age of distraction, when everyone just wants to read a five page article in the New Yorker instead of a 500 page book. It's so remarkable that anyone would buy these big yeah, books. Who are like, these unicorns who, reading right, giant these books? People? But you know what? Like every week, a new solution for reading uh, just like long form journalism or short stories digitally or something like that comes out. And none of those things have overtaken the popularity no. of long form fiction. No, that's true. That's they really just true. have it. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I thought it was worth talking about and just seeing if there's so we're saying there's no there there. As Letterman used to play something or nothing. You all yeah. have to watch those Letterman something yes, or nothing. Yes, yes, okay. I am. Uh, so this is a nothing piece. All right, that's what yeah. I thought. But I just yeah, I, this I had is to check. nothing. I had to check. It is. I just I'm I just want to roll my eyes at the <laughs> headline. Like, can we call a moratorium on big books or back stories until big books actually go somewhere? Like, what I would like to see is a piece that's like, where did all the big books go? And it then documents the slow disappearance right. of big books. Yeah, that the average uh, length of a um, sort of no, uh, no, uh, uh, National Book Award winner is down 41%. Yeah. I mean, maybe. maybe they, I mean, hey, we could do that. We, we could do that. that. And that's maybe, you know, like maybe there is some there's a kernel here that if you're submitting, at least if you're submitting your first book and you're trying to get published, if you've written a novel that's more than like 350 or 400 right. pages, it's really difficult, you know, to, you've got to make a good case for yourself to get your 700 page debut novel published. But Chad Harbuck did it um, with mm-hmm. The Art of Fielding and he got paid seven figures for doing it. Um, yeah, it's it's possible, but there's, I think there's a lot of talk, at least in the writing community about um, the acceptable length of fiction 
and um, what publishers are willing to publish because of what they think readers are willing to tolerate. And so maybe that's really what this is getting at. Like we we're, we're hearing that readers don't want super long books, but yet super long books continue to be successful. I feel like that's a strong, maybe that's just me, but like, uh, I mean, I'm just guessing. No, here. no, no. But like maybe I'm not saying that publishers don't do that or agents don't do that. or Editors don't do that. I'm just saying like what we've seen is if readers really like a book or an author, they'll read, you can't throw enough pages at them. Right. You can't, you cannot do it. Like I was reading um, this summer, the chaos walking trilogy, knife of never letting go was the first one by Patrick Ness. And it's a, I mean, it took me forever. I mean, you know, in a, for me reading sense and it was great. I didn't mind. Mm -hmm. It was really long, but I was enjoying myself and you can't tell me if there weren't nine new Harry Potter novels that came out tomorrow right. that we all wouldn't suck it up and love reading, you know, 4,000 more pages about um, bastardized Latin phrases. I mean, it would just, <laughs> we would just do it, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Achio bastardized Latin <laughs> phrases. <laughs> but am I wrong about that? No, maybe no. I'm... I've... I think you have to, I think, I think maybe you're not quite right. That, oh, like... come on. <laughs> really? Well, there's the first time. Look at my calendar. I got to write this down. Right. I know. Let us mark this date. Yeah, Jeff right. was not 100% <laughs> right. Uh, I think... I do think you have to earn the right to publish a 700-page book, and you've got to earn it by being good. You don't necessarily have to earn it by already having a fan base, but each of those 700 pages has to need to be there, where like otherwise that story could be edited down to a more common and acceptable 350 mm -hmm. to 400. Um, well, this I, is, I guess that's what I'm saying. If you write 700 pages that people like, they don't care how long it is. Right. Like, no one's like, God, I love this book, but... I can't, I don't know if I can take 400 more pages of this much awesome. I <laughs> right. mean, people don't do yeah. that. If it's awesome, all the pages. Yeah. The if pages, it's awesome, right. you're right. You can't throw enough pages at it. I think one, something that does happen is that if a writer publishes one long book that people love, um, often the editing becomes lax on the yeah. next book because it's like, oh, well, readers loved that last 700 page book from this author. And so we'll let him get away with another 700 page book, even though this one could really be four or 500 mm -hmm. pages. Like uh, I have this problem with Wally Lamb. Mm -hmm. um, I loved She's Come Undone. I enjoyed uh, uh, I Know This Much Is True. And then a couple of years ago, The Hour I First Believed came out and it is huge. It's just as big as the previous ones. But I finished that book thinking, okay, this man can really write. I do love his writing, but this book should have been 250 pages shorter. Yeah. Um, but if I'm the publisher, I'm thinking people are going to buy the new Wally Lamb book no matter what. <laughs> That's an, Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. I've got one last um, sort of uh, personal question for you, a preference question before mm -hmm. we move on to the next story. So do you more often find yourself thinking, I wish this book were longer, note the proper use of the subjunctive, or <laughs> do you find yourself thinking, I wish this book were shorter on the whole? Mm. I think I usually wish that the book were longer. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I think for me too. But I'm pretty good at picking stuff that I like. Mm. Um, Confirmation bias. Right. So I've enjoyed the book and I wouldn't have minded if there were a couple hundred more pages of it. I certainly felt like I could have read a few hundred more pages of like the new Margaret Atwood. And I guess um, that goes along with the question that we both like most of the things we read. Yeah. I mean, on the whole, because... Man, or I just break up with fun. it. If I read 50 uh, yes. or 100 pages and it's not working, then I'm, I jump uh, that ship. Okay, yeah. I'm the other with way. extreme I, I, prejudice. I stay through the bitter end, so that's, that's a telling. <laughs> Life is too short, my friend. Is it? Feels long today, boy. Um... <laughs> Well, right. Oh man, and I was I've, since I've been on my James Salter binge all summer. Like, man, I would read see a bajillion more pages of James Salter. Yeah. Can't get enough. <laughs> no.
Um, all right, let's do the next. Uh, let's do our next story. You, you, why don't you take this one? All right. So, I feel like this is uh, maybe potentially the next installment of Bad Job, Old Dude. Oh yeah. Okay. You're right. <laughs> so there's this group called the National Academy of National Association of Scholars. I already like them. I'm already asleep. Right. Okay. Keep going. The National Association of Scholars publishes an annual study called Beach Books which is sort of a misnomer, I think, here. But their study investigates what titles colleges and universities assign to incoming students as campus-wide reads. Uh, so, like, I know that Virginia Commonwealth University here in Richmond does this, where every year they ask all of the incoming freshmen to read the same book. Um, and they expect to have, like, first week of class discussions about this book. And it's been um, a couple of years ago. It was The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. That's one of the titles that gets mentioned in this study. Um, VCU has also done the Mouse graphic novels, which is an interesting take on World War II. But basically, this National Association of Scholars looks at what are the books that colleges are asking incoming uh, freshmen to read over the summer and and do the National Association of Scholars members think that those are the right books, essentially. And what they're, they're concerned that they're seeing a switch away from classics, that rather than being assigned, like in the uh, eight years uh, pre-1990 that the study was conducted, mm -hmm. colleges assigned things like Antigone, Frankenstein, A Canticle for Leibowitz, In the Time of Butterflies, and Bartleby the Scrivener. Um, but as of late, colleges are assigning, 97% uh, have been uh, choosing books published after 1990, like The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks and books that have political themes, uh, Outcasts United, which is a story about a refugee soccer team, Never Let Me Go uh, by Kazuo Ishiguro, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. And basically this whole, like, this whole piece that we'll drop into the show notes is a big swan song for classic summer reading assignments and like what this means about today's youth being doomed because they're not reading classics over the summer. Oh, this makes <laughs> me... It's just like... I, I, think the, I think the books are interesting. I mean, and I like these kind of programs. I'm, you know, I've, I've taught on several college campuses mm -hmm. that have done this and I'm never really sure what the outcome is supposed to be. Like, I, you know, I don't know if there's programming around it. I've never really tracked it that much in terms of a, a practical sense. But I think the the pro, the process is interesting. You know, you're going to college in the fall. I remember this feeling of like kind of wanting to get started. What's going to be like mm -hmm. having something that the college like we think this is something that students should know and kind of leave it there and let us figure it out. But the analysis in this piece makes me want to rip someone's head off. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so, so bad. bad. So like this is the response is in the Guardian. I know it's shocking mm -hmm. that it makes you want to die, but <laughs> this this writer uh, the the name is uh, Thorne is the last name asks why have U.S. colleges decided that the best way to introduce students to higher learning is through comic books, light lit, and memoirs? Well, first of all, screw you, whoever you are. Right. Second of all, just the, let the, me the, find the, my the, sad the one, trombone. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's twelve books that are most commonly assigned. And none of them are comic books. Mm -hmm. None of them are light lit, unless you consider Never Let Me Go light lit, which I do not. Have you read No. That? God, that's creepy. Uh, it's creepy, and it's asked tough moral and ethical questions. Mm -hmm. And the rest are, you know, narrative nonfiction about, oh, I don't know, um, black people moving, the warmth of well, her sons, and right, bioethics, and, and, and the, the environment. Right, the, the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks 
was remarkable because it was I think a that's huge, what I would pitch. Yeah, it was a huge commercially successful book about a giant question in medical ethics. And not in um, medical ethics, but poverty and right, education not, right. and class and race. Right, there's race, history. class, there's all sorts of, uh, who, right, all sorts of interesting yeah. questions there. And um, I'm looking over the details of this again. The books that I was listing um, were not the Antigone and Bartleby the Scrivener, those weren't titles from surveys in pre-1990. Those yeah. are the books published before 1990 that, that are assigned, picked, yeah. that still get picked. Um, so just there's a that brief correction. But yeah, I don't think... And you know what? Like Mouse is a... It's uh, a Spiegelman, book, right. it's a quote-unquote comic book or a graphic novel, right. but it's about the Holocaust. Yeah, I know, right? You know, like if... I think this is interesting. Um, it's a challenge to pick like... And, you know, it's a challenge to pick a book just for a classroom of students to read and discuss together and and bring their collective experiences to. So if you're picking for a campus wide thing, you've got to go for a topic that's accessible and interesting to people that are that age. So we're looking at people who are trying to pick a book for several thousand 18 year olds to read and talk about. And that will set the tone for the way that they think about and discuss not just literature, but world issues and ethics and these big questions. Like, I think this is sort of a, an introduction to critical thinking in the way that you're expected to think critically in college. And so Henrietta Lacks is a perfect title. It's so great. And the other thing that struck me too, is that these are exactly the kind of books that most 18 year olds, um, going to, even going to college will have not encountered before, you know, narrative nonfiction. That's not a textbook, but about big ideas and information. Nonfiction that might actually be fun to read. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I know at that age I was a big fiction reader, but I'm not sure how much nonfiction I had read then I was like, wow, this book, this book is like, well, Henry Lacks is like, it's like a page turner, right? Yeah. You have to find out. Right. And like, I had the, I had that experience, I think my sophomore year in college when someone assigned um, Nickel and Dimed by Barbara Ehrenreich. Oh yeah. I haven't read and that, I was I've heard like, a lot of, a lot yeah. And that. I was like, oh, like nonfiction can be fascinating. Yeah. And then I discovered Mary Roach and my head just exploded. Well, you, you got converted. They got I you. did. Yeah, they did. They totally got me. Um, so, in a way, <laughs> so, let, so we're saying we like bad this job. list and we think bad job interpretive old dudes <laughs> or actually maybe a, a, a lady, but whatever. Um, in that case, I'm not, I'm yeah, not really for, sure. For these purposes, the National Association of Scholars are all old it dudes. Sound like all du- it sounds like old dudes to me. So anyway, <laughs> that's – so we're just we're, – we're, uh, we're killing some red herrings here. Big yeah. goes back, beach mm-hmm. reads over classics, blah, blah, blah. Let's do some author birthdays. Yeah, tell me something good. Uh, no one died this well. I'm sure some people died this week, but no um, no luminaries of the literary community died this week. So we can go to already dead people to talk about. So two two birthdays I want to highlight this week. Let's do um, now. If I asked you how to say the author of the English Patient's last name Shinsky, what would you say? Oh, that's not fair. Oh, but I have first. I have to remember what the author. Oh, okay. Is. okay. Michael Ondaatje. Yeah, Ondaatje. Ondaatje. I think Ondaatje? that's correct. I, I looked it up on the internet, and that means I got it right. Um, he was born September 12th, 1943, the author of, um, well, most famously The English Patient, as I said, which got turned into a movie, but several other great books that I really Man, enjoyed. Man, and inspired an awesome Seinfeld episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. His first book was Coming Through Slaughter, uh, which is about New Orleans and a flood and jazz music, which is great, a novella. Ooh, that um, sounds good. It is good. His most recent was The Cat's Table, um, about a transoceanic uh, uh, voyage. Um, from Colombia to England uh, via the Suez Canal and the lives of the of the main character narrator and the people he meets 
on there. So it, also a great book. Anyway, this I want to talk about him for a second because it, it called out um, a uh, what I said about Bukowski a couple weeks ago and his relationship with the small press and trying to mm. keep them afloat. Mm-hmm. Well, Andaje's done a similar thing with Toronto's Coach House Books. Um, he supported them by being an editor for their poetry uh, line. Oh. And um, he and his wife, who's also a novelist, her name is Linda Spaulding, um, co-edited a journal that they put out and often um, adjudicate <coughs> awards and um, help pick authors that they run. But I just, I, we liked that last time. And there's another author that goes out of their way to help a small press, an independent press, stay afloat. So that's Michael Good job, Andrade. Michael Andrade. Good job. Uh, born September 12, 1943 in Sri Lanka. Actually, hmm. as a case may be. All right, the other one is O. Henry. Ah. September eleventh, eighteen sixty-two. So this would be two hundred. No, I don't. I'm not going to do the math. <laughs> Speaking right of the there. life of short stories. Yeah, right. So someone, you know, we said someone needed to write a book or make a movie about Ambrose Bierce walking back to right. Mexico. Yeah. So do you know anything about O. Henry? Nothing. At all? Not a thing. I read this the, dude. Is, I've this read the dude, collected stories. It's unbelievable. Okay. I don't. I'm just gonna have to do a lot of this. I'm so sorry. Every, Let it out, everyone, Jeff. Because I'm too excited. So, uh, he worked for a bank, right? So he was born in Greensboro, North Carolina, and he, you know, grew up, worked for a bank, and basically got involved in. Let's just say he was eventually convicted for embezzling money from the bank. Hmm. Um, the bank at first thought there was just some improprieties and got fired. Fired later, um, the IRS came knocking on the bank. They did a full audit. Never and good. Decided there was enough to indict. Um, o. Henry, whose original, whose real name was William Sidney Porter. Um, and I'll g- give you the reason why he, he went with O. Henry a little bit later on. So the IRS came and knocked, and he got convicted of embezzling money and sentenced to five years in jail. Well, um, the day before he was due, I'm sorry, he was not convicted yet. The day before he was due to stand trial, on July 7th, 1896, he was changing trains to get to the trial, and he suddenly decided to make a break for it. And he went to first to New Orleans. That's two New Orleans shout outs today. And then all the way down to Honduras. Oh, he was not messing around. Not messing. I mean, this is like some Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kids running away. Um, So he holed up in a hotel in Honduras for several months. And while he was there, he coined the term Banana Republic. (sighs) Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Which is, was used, he was using to describe Honduras, which is, you know, an unstable South American government, which is largely controlled by a foreign corporate interest. I thought you were going to say he coined the term banana hammock, and I was not going to know how to respond to that. <laughs> um, so all the while, he, his, his wife, though, while he ran, I didn't mention they had a wife back, back in the States, she got sick and was dying, and he couldn't stay away any longer. He just couldn't, he couldn't bear, um, even mm-hmm. with the law after him, to stay. So he went back um, and turned himself in to see his wife and spent um, five years in a uh, prison, but he was assigned to the hospital wing, and it's not clear that he ever actually spent any time in a jail cell. He kind of Andy Dufresne it. Um, he got he got he got his own little room in the hospital wing, and guess what? He started doing there, writing short stories. Ah, and a friend of his. Well, thank goodness he got of his, thrown in prison. Yeah, would start sending the short stories to publishers, and since they didn't want him to know he was in um, prison, he needed a pen name. And that's O. Henry. I like this story. Tell me that's not a book. It's a great story. You know what? And you can soundtrack it with the Grateful Dead, Friend of the Devil, the guy who's like running from the man. He's he's kind of a bad boy who writes. Like, no one likes that story. That's been. This is just, it's just begging. Yeah. Like, so maybe Stephen King could write sort of a Shawshank sequel about 
Oh, Henry. <laughs> and so he got out of jail, and he moved to New York in 1902, and this is where he started really, he, he wrote crazily. So he died in 1909, but in the seven years between 1902 and 1909, he wrote 381 short stories. Whew. And at one year, he wrote a story a week for that's the New York World Sunday Insane. Magazine. So that's O. Henry, who is the most interesting man in the world. He is, he's drinking Dos Equis, and he's the most interesting man. He doesn't world. always write short stories. He doesn't, but when he does, but he when writes he does. 381 of them in a seven-year stretch. <laughs> I love this. All right. I love everything about it. I know. It's so great. So that's, that's our author birthdays. Uh, a little longer segment than normal, but boy, does that ever seem That's like a it. fun one. It really does. Well, so I have, uh, I have one more feel-good, exciting, happy bookish story Yay. since we've, we've been a little bit ranty. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's do it. Uh, Dr. Seuss is going digital. I think this is great. It's so great. So, you know, every time one of these big um, back catalogs goes digital, everyone's like, X author is rolling in their grave. I don't know that he would. I no, think he would man. have fun with ebooks. He would. 40, Random House is bringing 41 Dr. Seuss titles to ebooks, all the biggies, all the good ones. I really hope that they'll drop some sort of like, you know, pay $75 and get all 41 Dr. Right. Seuss ebooks in Seriously. one massive bundle. Like I would, I would do this. I would take them with me when I traveled, when I saw my nieces and nephews, and then you could binge through it. Like last year at Christmas, um, my niece discovered my e-reader. And so I ended up downloading a fancy Nancy picture book onto my e-reader and then she finished it and she wanted another one. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, now we have to go through the whole thing again. Um, but if I had had 41 Dr. Seuss books, I'd have been set. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's so great. Do and I know, think Dr. I Seuss. I didn't even look, is that all of the major, I mean, I don't even know, like if you ask me how many Dr. Seuss books there are, uh, I'd be like, uh, yeah, no there idea. are tons of them. Um, but, but the first two are Cat in the Hat and Green Eggs Cat in the Hat, Green Eggs and Ham, Oh, the Places You'll Go, Horton Here's a Who, yeah, one, The One Fish, Two Fish, yeah, Fox and Socks, Hop on Pop, Mr. Brown Can Moo, Can You, uh, the, the 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins, The Lorax, like all the good stuff is here. Um, they'll stay true to the original layouts and use the original illustrations from the print editions. And there will also be brand new audio recordings, which that so will be, cool. that'll be really fun. Oh, you know what? That gives also. us a good transition to our second sponsor. Oh, right. Audible.com. Mm -hmm. You've heard us talk about them before. They're up to 150,000 titles now. I think we said that last week. 500 devices you can listen on? Right. I have them all right here. I tested All 500. 500. Took me 900 years. <laughs> um, you can, you know, you, you can try. If you go to audibletrial.com slash bookriot, uh, you can get a free trial. 30 days. Gives you a free ebook. Try it out. Um, you don't like it? You cancel. We won't get charged anything else. Um, but... I, this is great. We we've, mm -hmm. we've, we've, we've talked, we both love it. We both love audiobooks. We've talked about the rise in audiobooks um, becoming more and more popular. It's great to have headphones um, or you're listening in your car. Increasingly, you can you know plug your phone right mm -hmm. into the um, audio jack in your car, listen along on your commute, on a train, while riding the bike, doing the dishes, um, whatever. I've got a pick. Do you have a pick? Uh, I don't have a pick, but I have, I have like a vicarious pick. Okay. Oh, that's right. I, can't, I remember that now. So I'm going to do a vicarious pick a little bit too. Friend of the, the site and friend of the show and your co-host on the Book Rages podcast, mm -hmm. um, Josh Christie did his annual recommend a book from every part of his bookstore this week. Yeah, that's and my favorite thing on Twitter. He reminded me that um, his pick from the audiobook section was uh, Motherless Brooklyn by Jonathan Lethem. Hmm. Apparently is how you say that name. I looked that up too. And it's narrated by Steve Buscemi. 
Oh my gosh, that's so. so I don't crazy. know if you know anyone knows the if you know the plot of Motherless Brooklyn. The 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 main character is a PI, a private investigator who has Tourette's. Mm. Um, so just imagine Bushimi narrating that. It's a lot of fun. I did listen to this a long time ago. Um, actually, actually, was it, my sense of time is all screwed up now. I'm not actually sure how long this is about, but I read the book a long time ago mm-hmm. and listened to the narration um, a while ago. That sounds great. And so that w- that's a really good, fun uh, pick. And um, there's a new Lethem coming out pretty soon, so you can uh, warm up your Lethem cool. if you want to do that. So. Yeah, that that's fun. And we'll put Josh uh, did a storyify of all the tweets that he did. Oh, he, he does did? this. Yeah, oh, he does we this should, we'll link to thing that. Yeah. Um, once a year on Twitter. He does this where he like spends a day going through the bookstore. He works at Sherman's Books in Portland, Maine, uh, and he goes through the store and recommends a book from every section. And um, I think it's one of the coolest things that happens on Twitter and not just because Josh is one of my best friends. I mean, it might be not just because, but right. yeah, we like Josh and it's a, it's a really cool thing. Uh, but do. so we'll drop a link to the Storify in and then if you need a recommendation from any section of a bookstore or you're looking to try something new, you'll be set. Yep. Uh, you can bust your TBR list with that. My Vicarious, I guess I have, yeah, I have some vicarious recommendations, <laughs> uh, two of them. One is to keep an eye, uh, an eye out for, I'm not sure when they drop or if they have dropped already, but all of Roald Dahl's books or many of Roald Dahl's books are oh, coming yes. to audiobook. Uh, Kate Winslet reads Matilda. I think maybe you mentioned that on a previous I show, did. but I did, yeah. we have a bunch of samples on the site today, um, courtesy of Penguin's audiobook arm. So you can listen to some samples of like Kate Winslet reading Matilda, Stephen Fry reads one, Hugh Laurie reads uh, a Roald Dahl book I had never heard of before. Okay. Uh, but you can check out samples on Book Riot, and then you can look for those on Audible. And the one that I've been seeing bubble up a lot is Zealot by Riza Aslan, mm. um, which has been, you know, in the press a ton. Uh, but several people in my Twitter stream talked about it this week, that they were listening to Zealot and then, like, stayed up all night walking around their apartments listening. Um, oh, that's interesting. Okay. And uh, Greg Zimmerman, who writes for us at Book Riot, had never listened to an audiobook before, but just went on a four-city independent bookstore tour for Labor Day weekend, just took himself on a road trip, and uh, Zealot was his first audiobook. He made it back to the Book Riot homeland. He did. He made it back to, uh, Lawrence, to Kansas. Lawrence, Kansas, where uh, where you grew up and where I went to graduate school. Yep. Um, and uh, paid a visit to Allen Fieldhouse, and he listened to Zealot by Riza Aslan on the way and said it was a good first audiobook experience nice. on his road trip. So. Nice. That's my vicarious recommendation. Great. Well, you want to hear about, about some, new, some books. new books? We got to hear new books. Oh, it's been such. I'm like, ah! it's been <laughs> such a good week for new books here. It's starting. And, uh, the, the big fall tidal wave is. It is, is upon man. Us. I just love fall book season. Um, so all, these are books that are all out. They came out earlier this week, and you can pick them up in your local bookstore. You can download them uh, to your happy, snappy little e-reader immediately. Uh, the first one is Mad Adam by Margaret Atwood, which we devoted all day on Tuesday to celebrating Margaret Atwood because we love her um, and she's just awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's one of Book Riot's favorite writers. So a bunch of our contributors wrote about her and she did us a huge solid and wrote a post for the site about books that she loves. Uh, but Mad Adam is the third book in the Mad Adam trilogy. It follows up Oryx and Crake and the Year of the Flood. And it's a these are post-disaster stories. Um, a giant, basically a, a giant uh, like virus outbreak took out most of humanity. And we've got two groups of people, uh, two primary groups of people who have survived. And Oryx and Crake shows us one of those groups of people. And the Year of the Flood shows us the other primary group. The books are sort of meanwhiles for each other. They're not a sequel and a prequel, but they happen on the exact same timelines, just mm-hmm. in different places. And you sort of see 
one from the periphery, like characters from the periphery of one story pop up um, as primary characters in the next story. So they all end up together. And Mad Adam is what happens after their timelines converge. Awesome. Um, it's so great. It's, uh, you know, Margaret Atwood, like these are big sort of, they have an environmental viewpoint. Um, she has a political viewpoint. These are big stories about big what if questions. Um, she talks about writing speculative fiction, and that's really what these are. It's a, These are her answers to what if this thing happened? What if most of humanity got wiped out by a giant bug um, or by, you know, medications or whatever, but they're really also funny and playful. Um, she's so clever. It's not, it just doesn't feel heavy, um, or heavy handed. You know, I was thinking we were doing the Margaret Atwood day last week. Like she really is like a, like the, like the, the idol, the book right idol, like not just her, but like her whole sort of thing of like, she experiments with new technology and new platforms Mm -hmm. and she's serious and funny um, and, you know, uses social media well and thinks about big ideas, but also makes really bad puns in the book. Like right. the whole package is like the whole package is very like, this is what we do. So it's not a surprise that, you know, our, our writers put together a really great day of stuff around Margaret Atwood. And, you know, I was just really that, you know, that's one of the favorite things I know both of you and I yeah. really like when we do those days like that, but like, it's going to be hard to imagine a better fit for, uh. Yeah, for what she, we do than Margaret Atwood. Right, it, she inspired a really great day. Yeah, she did. It's, it's literary and it's a genre with a twist, and you know, it's it's great. So, Matt Adam, the the final book in the trilogy, got good reviews. Yeah, um, and I think I think it, from all I can tell, I haven't read Matt Adam yet, and I hope to mm-hmm. get to it this fall. But I think a um, a satisfying. Yes. Interesting end to the, the trilogy without giving, I would, no, spoiler, no spoiler. I would say so. Yeah, it's a satisfying end. It's it's really beautifully written. Um, and if you haven't read any of these three books, you could just read Mad Adam. There are like three or four page wrap ups at the beginning of Mad Adam that summarize um, Oryx and Crake and the Year of the Flood, and they'll give you. That. I, I don't know if you or someone else said that, but what about this? So you like Mad Adam? And like that was great, and you hadn't read the first two. Could you then go back and read the first two, and and that would be okay? I mean, do you think people would enjoy that? Well, I think I think you could, mm. but some of um, uh, actually a lot of the pages in Mad Adam are devoted to fleshing out um, main characters' past um, that we just haven't known all of the details about okay. them. So. Yeah, I mean, you would just, you, when those people popped up in Oryx and Crake in the Year of the Flood, you would know a lot more about yeah. them than you're supposed to know I, I about them at the time. guess what I'm asking is, if you want to try Atwood at all, or this trilogy at all, why not just start with Year of the Flood? That's the real, and I, I don't mean that rhetorically, like, mm-hmm. is there any reason not to try Year of the Flood if, if you want to try the trilogy? Why, well, why, 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 why might one start with Bad Adam? I guess I don't understand. Oh, oh yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe you just want to read the just newest one. Just want to read one. the new one, okay, fair enough, yeah. yeah and yeah. Oryx and Crake, like, um... There is some really heavy stuff in Oryx and Crake. One of the characters has a very abusive father, oh, yeah, and Atwood right. does not shy away from that. Um, and you get you just get references to that in Mad Adam. So if re, if you know reading sort of those heavier passages is not your thing, okay. like Mad Adam is sort of a lighter. It, it's a little lighter in tone than okay. the first two books were. Yeah, that's, that's um, nice, that's but I do think that you if you if you dig these kinds of big questions that Atwood asks and. Um, and you want to try her, I would just do Oryx and Crake in the Year of the Flood and Mad Adam. Right. Just take them all down. Right. And I guess if uh, uh, you are interested in, you know, if you've never tried Margaret Atwood before, um, 
you can check out Start Here. That's our book yeah. uh, that we did uh, publish last year. And one of our writers did a really great chapter on how to get started with Margaret Atwood. Mm-hmm. And if you go to bookwrite.com slash start here or search for Start Here in whatever ebook store you shop for, you can yeah. find it. And now we also a have bucks. a flow chart. Yeah, there is a good flow chart too. We should drop that. We'll drop the, we'll drop the yeah. link to the Margaret Atwood Margaret Day. Margaret Atwood stuff. Day. Uh, so other big book. We talked last week about how there are five new J.D. Salinger books scheduled to come out in 2015 or beginning in 2015 and that that was revealed in a document. This week, uh, the book Salinger by David Shields and Shane Salerno came out. It is an exhaustive, uh, comprehensive biography, like the definitive biography of J.D. Salinger based on eight years of research and interviews with more than 200 people. Uh, and that was published in coordination with the release of the Weinstein Company's or Weinstein Company's Salinger documentary. Mm-hmm. So if you re- if you really want to go like if two hours of Salinger documentary is not enough for you, <laughs> <laughs> and you want to go hardcore nerd out on J.D. Salinger. Now you can with a huge biography of him. Yep. Awesome. It's and, out. And a big paperback release this week. Yes. And a big paperback release. This is How You Lose Her by Juno Diaz is out in paperback. Uh, it's a series of collected connected short stories that follow um, the same character, Junior, who we met. In, in a previous Diaz book as well through basically how he sucks at love. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he learns from how he sucks at love. And we see him with um, various women in his life, with uh, with sisters, with his mother, um, with lovers. And uh, and there are some really interesting, uh, Junior is Dominican and Diaz writes this sort of delightful Spanglish um with great geeky references. It's not nearly as geeky as uh, his novel, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, but I really loved this collection of short stories. Um, Interesting thoughts about masculinity, about how men relate to women, about particularly how that works within Dominican culture. Um, I thought it was terrific, and it's out in paperback now. That's awesome. And that's, I think, our show. show. There's more stories I have, but I think we got to save them. Yeah, we have maybe a little rant in us about the New York Times, but we'll save that. Yeah, we better save that for another time. You know, they're they're never going to run out of reasons for us to rant about them. So uh, we can we can keep our powder dry on that one. Tell the um, people where they can find us. They can find us well. Uh, they can find both of us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am Jeff O'Neill, but I go by Reading Ape on Twitter. You are Rebecca Shinsky, and you go by Rebecca Shinsky, weirdly enough. I know, and it's S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. You can find Book Riot itself at Book Riot. You can find uh, this whole site at bookriot.com. Uh, if you're interested in rating the show on iTunes, that helps us out a lot, helps new people find the show we always love to see new ratings and reviews there but what we'd like to see even more is people letting us know that they they're new to the show and they're going to do a binge listen um to our our sorry voices for now what 14 hours is this show number 15 i have no idea where we are this is 18 oh baby okay our um, little podcast can vote i know <laughs> and be in porno um uh, so oh, anyway <laughs> so you can find us there uh let's see i guess that's it we oh, have actually, show notes show notes show notes Book are, right. this is a new thing yes bookriot.com slash podcast you can listen to the latest episodes right find all of the show notes also if you would do us a quick favor in the show notes um, is a link to a short survey it's seven questions it will take you less than two minutes and it just lets us know a little bit about who you are so that we can find the best most relevant sponsors for the show yes very helpful for us to do that thank you so much guys for listening happy fall happy back to school for those of you who are taking kids to school or going back to school yourself and uh, we'll talk to you later have a good week (laughs) 